All right, you guys can be seated. So good evening, guys. First of all, it's, uh, it's great to see everybody here tonight. I hope everybody had a fantastic Thanksgiving and uh, you are geared up and ready to go for Christmas. Uh, I, kn- I know I am. So because it's Christmas, um, you know, we as a church, we are, we're studying scripture that, that points to the coming King, King Jesus. And so he's why we celebrate Christmas. And so as a church, we are honoring him and focusing on him this, this holiday season. So we're, we're using, as we, as we do this, we're spending a lot of time in the Old Testament, but we're using Matthew chapter one, verse one as, as really like an anchor verse. And so because we are, here it is, it's on the screen. It says, Matthew chapter one, verse one says, the book of, of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. So each, each one of the gospel writers, they, they wrote their gospels for a specific reason. So Mark, Mark's audience, when he wrote his gospel, it was the, the people in the Roman Empire who were not familiar with, with the Jewish religion. And, and Luke, he, he wrote his, his gospel for, for a Greek audience. John's uh, purpose for his gospel was so that anybody reading his gospel would, would believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But, but Matthew's gospel is very different. It's different than the other three in that he wrote his gospel account to a specific audience, the, the Jewish people. He wrote his gospel to convince the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. And that's why we see him begin in the very first chapter, the very first verse. That's why we see him begin with this verse in the, the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1. He's, he's telling them, he's telling the Jewish people that Jesus was the, the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. So we're using Matthew 1.1 as, as an anchor verse, but we're going we're gonna to kind of do what Matthew did here. And we're going we're gonna to dig back into the Old Testament to see scripture that, that points to the promise of the, of the coming king. So for the past two weeks, Eric has, has preached on the, the life of, of Abraham and the promises that, uh, and the, the covenant, covenant promise that, that God made with Abraham to, to make him into a great nation and that all nations would be blessed through him. Uh, tonight, we're going to skip forward about a thousand years past Abraham and about a thousand years prior to Jesus coming to earth. And, and that's going to squarely put us right in the middle of about second Samuel. And we're going to be in second Samuel chapter seven. So, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and, and turn there. So this, this is kind of going to be our, our home base, second Samuel chapter seven, but we're going to, we're going to jump around a lot to some other places in, in the Bible just for, for context. So, so here we go, guys. Um, want to give a quick recap. So if, if, you, if you weren't here for the first couple of weeks, or this is your first time visiting with us, I want to give you just a kind of a recap of, uh, of what we've talked about for, for a couple of weeks. And it's like a 50,000 foot, right? Not, not going too deep, but about a 50,000 foot as to what's happened from, from Genesis chapter 1 all the way to 2 Samuel chapter 7. All right? So, so here it comes. About, about 2,000 years from, from Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter 11. All right? A lot happens during that time, 2,000 years. A lot happens. We're going to save that for another sermon series. When we get to Genesis chapter 12, we meet Abraham. And, and Abraham, he's, he's living in the land of Ur. Abraham, his, his family and, 
Everyone around him were, were worshiping false gods. They were worshiping idols. But despite that, God spoke to Abraham and we, he made him three promises. So we, we've talked about this. Eric's talked about this over the last couple of weeks. Number one, God promised Abraham that, that he would give him land, a, a place to live. Number two, God will make Abraham's offspring into a great nation. And then number three, God promised that all nations would be blessed through Abraham. A lot happens here, but, but in short, Abraham, he, he obeys God and he, he moves his family that, to the land that, that God promised him. And so, so that kind of, that takes care of that first promise God made uh, to Abraham. And as for the second promise to make Abraham's offspring into a great nation, well, this is where it gets a little bit tricky. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they didn't have any children and, and they, were, they were well past the, the typical age for childbearing. Nevertheless, God, God made this promise to Abraham and he, he fulfilled it through the birth of their son, Isaac. Abraham was about 100 years old when Isaac was born. I, I don't know about you, but I can't imagine starting a family at, at that age and, and just everything that, that, that comes from us. The middle of the night feedings, diaper changes, the dreaded bath and bedtime routine that has to happen every night. I was, I was 26 when Marianne and I had our first child, and I mean, I definitely did not win any middle-of-the-night dad MVP awards during that, during that time, even at that age. So I, I can't imagine being 100 years old and having, to, having our, our, first, our first child. But this was God's plan, and he, he gives us Everything we need to accomplish his purposes, and he did that for Abraham and for Sarah. So, so Abraham and Sarah, they, they had a son, Isaac, and then Isaac had sons of, of his own. One of those sons, named his, his name was Jacob. His name later, would later be changed to Israel. Jacob had 12 sons. His sons' names would become the 12 tribes of Israel. So that, that takes care of the first two promises that God made to Abraham, land and offspring. So what about the third promise? The promise that all nations would be blessed through Abraham. So to, to answer that, I, I want to I skip forward a little bit to Genesis chapter 49. And so in this chapter, Jacob, um, he's, he's about to die, and he's, he's giving a blessing to each one of his 12 sons. When he gets to Judah, in verse 8, he tells him, in part, he tells him that the, the scepter will not depart from Judah. And this is, a, this is a clear reference to the fact that kings would come from the line of Judah, but not immediately. Israel still has to, to go into captivity and, and Egypt for 400 years, and they have to go through the period of the judges. And so it's, it's hundreds of years later that, that Israel will, will have a king. So skipping, so skipping past that, that time of captivity in Egypt and 40 years in the desert and coming into the promised land and the, the period of the judges, and that all gets us to First and Second Samuel. So where we'll be tonight in Second Samuel. So Saul was the first king of Israel, but Saul was not from the tribe of Judah. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. And remember, Jacob told Judah that the, the scepter would not leave the hand of Judah. So Saul dies at the end of the first of first Samuel, and 
David was then anointed king of Israel in 2 Samuel. David was from the tribe of Judah, thus beginning the fulfillment of Jacob's prophecy that the scepter would not depart from Judah. So David is now king when we get to 2 Samuel 7. And we're gonna, so we're going we're gonna to read that, that first part, first half, really, um, of the chapter. And we're going to break it down. We're going to apply it. That'll be our, that'll be our time together um, tonight. But as we read through the chapter, I want us to, I want us to remember the, the, main, uh, the main idea tonight. It's, it's pretty short, but it's, it's, it's true. And that is that God's promises are eternal. I think as we go through this, I think we'll, we'll see that, 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 is, that that is the case, that God's promises are, are eternal. So let's go ahead. Let's read 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 1. It says, Now when the, t- when, the, when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? And now, therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you would be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you, wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their, in their own place and be disturbed no more. The violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I, I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, your, your word is good. Lord, your word is, is true and it is right. Lord, I pray, God, that, that as we study your word tonight, Lord, that, uh, we would, that you would just reveal yourself to us through it. Lord, that we would grow closer to you and, and believe your word. It's in your holy name we pray tonight. Amen. Okay, guys. So, 
So we're going we're gonna to dig into these verses into 2 Samuel 7. And, and as, we, as we break down these verses, we're going we're gonna to do it a little bit differently. So we're not going to go through every verse of this, of this passage that we just read. But instead, we're going we're gonna to break it down using the, the three main points for, for tonight. So those, those three points are going to be, number one, God is the promise keeper. Number two, God is the promise maker. And then number three, God is the promise. All right? God is the promise keeper. God is the promise maker. God is the promise. All right, so let's, let's dig in. We're going to go to our first point here. God is the promise keeper. You know, we, we've already seen four different covenants in Scripture. We haven't studied them in this series, but we've, we've seen four different covenants in Scripture to this point prior to getting to 2 Samuel chapter 7. So we had God's covenant with Adam, his covenant with Noah, with Abraham, which we have talked about, and then we see God's covenant with Moses. And now we get to the fifth covenant here in Scripture, and that's God's covenant with David. But, but here's the deal. When we, when we see these different covenants in Scripture, when you, when you have a new covenant, the new covenant does not nullify the previous covenant. Instead, each one of these is building on one another. And we're, we're seeing kind of progressively how God relates to his people as we walk through redemptive history. Now, we, we just read the first half of this chapter 7, and we never saw the word covenant. It's, it's not there. The, the, the closest it gets is down in verse 15, where, where God talks about his, his steadfast love. And so that, that language is sometimes used as a synonym for, for covenant in Scripture. But you don't you don't really see covenant mentioned here. Now, there, there, there are other Old Testament passages that, that come later that refer back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, and they talk about God's covenant with David, which is, which is why virtually every Old Testament scholar out there calls this, this passage the Davidic covenant, where God's entering into a covenant with David. Now, now what I want to show you, though, is how this covenant right here relates builds on, parallels all the ways God has related to his people in covenant up until this point. So as we, as we walk through 2 Samuel chapter 7, I want to give you a couple of verses where you can, kinda, you can go back and you can look and you can see what God is saying to David here is the same thing that he said to Abraham before him. Things that we've talked about that Eric has preached on for the last couple of weeks. So for example, 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 9 God says, and I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. I hope that sounds familiar. I hope it does. It's, it's very similar to what God told Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. This is the very beginning of God's covenant with Abraham. And God says, I will make your name great. It's the same thing. God told Abraham that he would make his name great, and now he's telling David that he'll make David's name great as, as well. So then you, you get to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 10. God says, And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And so again, this, this should sound familiar. If you look back at Genesis 15, 18, God says to Abraham, to your offspring, I will give this land. This is a continuance of the promise that God made 
to Abraham and now, now to David to appoint for Israel the land where they're going to, to dwell. So re- remember, God is the promise keeper. He's keeping promise that he has made previously. Now you get down to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. God says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Same thing we see in Genesis chapter 17, verses 3 to 7. It's going to give a little bit of that, not the entire five verses there, but just a little bit. That's when God told Abraham, I'm going to raise up offspring, give you many descendants. Same wording, offspring, seed that's going to come from you, your line, and through your family. Then God also says in in Genesis 17, 6, he says, and kings shall come from you. That was God talking to Abraham. But here in 2 Samuel 7, we have God speaking to a king about his offspring to come. Saying, he says in verse 12, he says, and I will establish his kingdom. What, What God is saying to David here is exactly what he had previously said to Abraham. God keeping his, his promises. So, that, so that, that's, our, that's our first point. God is the promise keeper. So what we, what we see God promising Abraham is not, is not going away, but it's carrying through to David now. So let's move on to point two, all right? We had God is the promise keeper. Now we have God is the promise maker. So this, this chapter, it's, it's interesting that it, it starts off with David insinuating that he's going to build God a house, right? David, David lived in a house. God had been carried, the, the, the ark had been carried and, and put in a tent as the Israelites moved around. And so David's saying, you know, God has a house, or excuse me, I have a house. You know, I, I want to build a house for, for God. And so in verses 1 and 2, he says, Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all its surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. But this is, this is awesome, guys. So God, though, and this is like a startling reversal here. He says, God says, David, I want to build you a house. I want your family to be a house, a dynasty that will continue. Here's what God says to David down in verses 12 and 13. God says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And then when you get down to verse 16, God says, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. When, when God's saying these things, he's saying, what I'm putting in place right here, right now, is going to last forever. Forever, forever. Forever is a word that we just a lot of times kind of throw around, right? I, I, I know I do. I'm guilty. We have, may have good intentions when we say it, but we don't, a lot of times we don't really mean it. And even if we do, we don't have control over the circumstances kind of surrounding that. And I, I'll give you an example. I, 
I love my 2008 Toyota Sequoia. Last year, I needed new tires for it. The guy at the tire store, he, he tried to get me to buy these 50,000 mile tires because the car's 10 years old and he was trying to do me a favor. He's trying to save me money by giving me 50,000 mile tires. And I, I asked if he had any other tires and he said, well, yeah, I've got these 80,000 mile tires and they're more expensive. And I said, put them on. Why? I'm driving this car forever. Got to put those tires on. I, I loved it, right? I mean, I'd never had any maintenance issue with it. Ten years that I owned it, I rolled out of that place with my new tires, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to drive this car forever. That was my intention, at least for the next 80,000 miles. That was my intention, was to drive this car forever. But a few months later, which is earlier this year, I went out to my driveway and I tried to start the car. Nothing. Like not even the, like nothing. Nothing happened when I turned the key. The alternator was bad. If you've ever had an alternator go out, you know that there ain't nothing you can do to, to get this car started. You have to get the alternator replaced. So called a tow truck. Tow truck comes to my house and as he was Towing the car away, I was thinking about how I was going to trade the car in once it got fixed. But Toyota, they, they fixed the car, and when I got the bill, I was, I was shocked. It was, it was ridiculous. It was crazy expensive to get this alternator replaced. I thought, I thought again, now I had new tires, I got a new alternator, and I was kind of forced... <laughs> to keep this car now forever, my joy in the new tires and keeping the car forever, now it had gone to annoyance with the money that, that I'd spent for new tires and now a new alternator and hey, being now financially obligated to keep this car forever. It got worse. So we moved to Florida and within three months of, of being here, the, the car needed more work that put me in the hole deeper financially. So now my, my wanting to keep this car, I love, I still love it, but it lasts only until the next maintenance issue. Reality has, has set in and forever doesn't have the same nice pie in the sky ring to it. But thankfully, God does not look at forever the same way that I do or if same way that we do. This isn't his approach to forever. When God says forever, he not only means it, but he has control over the circumstances that will make it happen. Eternity or forever is being shaped right here in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And what, what God is saying here persists right now to this day and in this room. This has huge ramifications for us, for every one of us in this room. So what we're reading here, what we're, the picture here is that a continual seed will endure. One from your line, David, your offspring will endure forever. That's, that's a bold statement. I mean, think about that. I mean, if you kind of think about us and you kind of think about family trees and you know, last names and things like that, I, I, I come from a family where my father was one of six. Three boys, three girls in the family. And 
two of the other boys, they didn't, they didn't have any sons. They had kids, but they didn't have sons. And then my father had two sons. Those were, we, me and my brother were the only two who could kind of carry on the West name. And then my brother and I both, we, we each have two boys. But what if we didn't? To the family, that would be disastrous. That the family name would stop. That sounds kind of, sounds kind of, I don't know, maybe not as big of a deal. If we're talking about eternity, we're talking about forever here. But think about, think about, think about David here. I mean, the stakes were higher. This was the throne. This wasn't just a last name. This was who's going to come after him. A son would come after him to then take the throne from his, from his father. So the stakes were, were a lot higher. So, so God's telling David here that his offspring will endure forever and that an honored son will reign. God says your, your seed will endure and that an honored son will reign. Now, now this is where it gets really interesting. You, you go, back to, go back to verse 13 and you look at that. God has, has just said that he's going to raise up offspring after David. He's going to raise up sons for David. And God says he's going to establish his kingdom. This, this offspring of David is going to build a house for God's name and, and God will establish the throne of his, of his kingdom forever. So, I mean, who's, who's God talking about here? Well, I mean, we, we have the advantage of, of having scripture we can read and we, we know that he's, God's talking about David's son Solomon here. Solomon's the, the next king who would come after David. He's the one who's, who's going to build the house for God. He's going to build the temple. We can, we can read the Bible. We know that that's what happened. But this, this, is, this is fascinating, though, what's, what's being set up here. Not only will, will David's son Solomon build a house for the Lord, but, but listen to what God says in verse 14. He says, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. The picture is God is he's raising up Solomon as king to be as a son. A son who reflects the father. That's what Solomon's, Solomon's going to do. He's going to reflect not his father David, but God the father. It gets even deeper if, you, if, we, if we leave 2 Samuel chapter 7, if we leave that and we look at the very last chapter in 1 Chronicles, David, he's, he's on his deathbed and he's talking to Solomon. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 22, it, about midway through that verse, in verse 22 it says, And they made Solomon, the, the son of David, king the second time. They anointed him as prince for the Lord. I mean, that's a big deal, prince for the Lord. Solomon is, is ruler for the Lord. But then you, you listen to verse 23 and it says, then sat on the throne of the Lord as king in place of, his, of David, his father. Did you catch that? Let me, let me read the first half of that, that verse again. It says, Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king. Who, who sits on the throne of the Lord? David or Solomon, are they going to sit on the throne of the Lord? No, the Lord sits on the throne of the Lord. God sits on God's throne. But the, this, this text is suggesting that, that Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord. So don't, 
don't miss what's going on here. It's kind of easy to miss this, but don't miss what's going on here. It's what God is doing is he's, he's raising up kings. In this, this whole picture of the kingdom, the, the king will be the one through whom God will relate to his people. The king will mediate God's covenant with his people. The king will represent God to his people. The earthly king being the representative of the heavenly king as a son. So here, God here is he's, he's saying that an honored son will reign, seed will endure, and a son will reign forever. His kingdom will be established forever. And we know that when God says forever, he, he means forever, right? What could, what could go wrong, right? We could go wrong. People are sinful, right? We, we try at every turn to thwart the will of God by our disobedience. And, and that's exactly what happens during Solomon's reign. Here we have Solomon, this man who became king on a, on a throne God promised, would endure forever, and we see Solomon mess up over and over again. Back in Deuteronomy, God gave qualifications. He gave standards, rules to live by for a king. And we, we see Solomon breaking those. He has 700 wives, 300 concubines. He collects for himself unimaginable wealth. He builds a place where people could go and worship idols. It's the same man who God blessed with his father's throne, who had unmatched wisdom. We see God's promise to, to David in 2 Samuel 7, this promise that we've read, we see it hanging in the balance. We see in verse 14, God lays out punishment for Solomon's eventual disobedience. We see that disobedience coming to pass, and here's what God says in verse 14. He says, when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. And that's, that's what happens next. Solomon dies. When he dies, Israel is torn apart. Solomon's son, Rehoboam, doesn't, he doesn't inherit all of Israel, but instead only two of the tribes to rule over, the other ten tribes, we ruled by Jeroboam. Israel would be, be torn in two pieces, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of, of Judah. There would be no kings in the northern kingdom of Israel that would be good kings. Every last one of them evil. Southern kingdom of Judah, only a few kings would be considered good kings. And then the rest of them evil northern kingdom of Israel would be destroyed and taken into captivity by Assyria. southern kingdom of Judah would be destroyed, taken into captivity by Babylon. We, we, we read these, these passages. We, we see the promise that God made. We read these passages and we just read them in desperation. We see little hope as what God had promised to David is seemingly just crumbling before our eyes. 
But we know that in our, in our time of greatest need, we remember that God is not only the promise maker, but he is, again, promise keeper. We get, we get to the book of Isaiah, and we, we see in, in chapter 9, God's, it's his promise starting to kind of, kind of percolate from the ashes, from destruction. You look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, he says, But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Neptali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Then you skip down to verses 6 and 7, and beginning of verse 6, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What, what's Isaiah saying here? He's, he's saying to the people of God, there is one who's coming from the throne of David who will establish the throne of David again. And his justice and his righteousness will reign and rule forever. If you're wondering who Isaiah is talking about, you, you get over to chapter 11, two chapters later, and he, look in verse 1, he says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And who is Jesse? Jesse is David's father. So someone fitting that description will come from the line of David. And you continue in verse 2, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the, and the fear of the Lord. You skip down to verse 10 and it says, In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him, the nations shall inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In their despair, their ruins and captivity, they're, they're looking forward. They're, they're looking forward. There's, there's one who's going to come. It's going to bring them hope. Who's going to save them. The one God promised David would come from his offspring. Then we get back, if you keep going to Jeremiah, another prophet, we look at Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 5. Verse 5 it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. Jeremiah is he's talking about the one who would come from the root of David, a branch from the line of David. You continue from verse 5, you get to verse 6, and, and it says, And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Listen to what Isaiah, Jeremiah, and if we did it, other prophets, 
other prophets that we're not even reading. Listen to what they're saying. They're, they're saying amidst all these defective kings in Israel and Judah, there is one who is coming from the seed of David as a son of God who will usher in the kingdom. A truer and better king is coming. We don't have time to go through it tonight, but if, if, if you just went to Luke chapter 1, we'd see that this, this divine king that these prophets were, were talking about is Jesus. Think about our, our anchor verse here in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This divine, divine king Jesus is the promise God was referring to way back in the promises to Abraham and to David. And if you went even further back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 to, to, to Adam, he is the promise that God was, was making that all nations would be blessed through him. To David, we, we read God promising him that, that he would build David a house, not just a a physical house, but an eternal household. That brings us to our third point, guys. God is the promise. So how are all nations blessed through Abraham? Then how will David's throne be established forever? I mean, the, the brief but sufficient answer is through Jesus. If, if, you're, if you're with us tonight, if you're not a Christian, if, if, you're, if you're not a believer, here, here's the reality of it all. We are we're all born into this world, created by a holy God to reflect Him, to glorify Him, but, but we, we don't reflect or glorify Him with our lives. We're we're sinful beyond measure. Our hearts are sick. We desire what we want, not what God wants for us. There's, there's, there's no way for us as sinful men and women to, to stand on our own good deeds before a righteous and perfect God and to be in good standing. We can never do enough good deeds to cover up all of our sin. In fact, the, the Bible says that, that even our good deeds are dirty rags before the Lord. Everyone in this room who, is, who has ever lived needs a mediator, someone to stand on our behalf before God. God knew this, and he, he made this promise. He made a promise that, that one would come to save us from our sins and, and from ourselves. Jesus did just that. He was, he was born in this world, God in the flesh. God taking on flesh, coming in the person of Jesus Christ. He lived a perfectly sinless life. He, he died on the cross, the death that we all deserve. And he was raised from the grave and now in heaven, ready to be the mediator between us and God the Father. If you haven't placed your faith in Jesus and trusted in Him today as your Savior, please don't wait another second. Die to yourself and your sin 
today. Live for Christ. You think, why? Why would, why would I do this? If you do this, then you, you get God. We shouldn't think about, think about this. I mean, we, don't, we don't go to church or trust in Jesus so that we get to go to heaven. It's not it's completely missing the point of heaven. I know we, we talk about and we, we like to think about what heaven is going to be like. Will they have, will they have chips and salsa? And will my, my childhood dog will he be waiting, wagging his tail for me when I get there? We wonder these things, but it completely misses the, the point. We, we trust in Jesus so that we, yes, we get to heaven, but we get God. That is, that is why. I mean, heaven is, is all about God. He is there. We trust in Jesus because he is the promise. We get Jesus. We get God. That's, that's what salvation is. Follower of Christ in this room, this reality that, that God, Jesus, is the promise should encourage and compel every one of us to endure in the, in the mission of New City Church to see Jesus change lives and to reach the world. Christian, if, you, if you've been set free from the bondage of your sin, you're a new creation in Christ, have assurance in that reality that, that you will get God one day. And let that propel you to share the gospel every day with those who need it so desperately. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, Lord, we thank you for your promises. Lord, we know that they are good. We know that they are true. We know that they are eternal and everlasting. Lord, we know, God, that when you made the promise, Lord, to, to send a Savior, you did that through the person of Jesus Christ. And we thank you, God, for that. We thank you that we get to be a part of this celebration of his birth every year. Lord, I pray, God, that we would keep our eyes, our hearts focused squarely on him this season, Lord, for it's in his holy name that we pray tonight. Amen.